1: On a post Thanksgiving Monday, where there is a ton of news as we head down the home stretch of 2023. Israel and Hamas agree to extend the ceasefire for an additional two days. More hostages are released. So, what comes next? And what is the White House saying now? We are live from the Middle East coming up here in moments. Plus, as we were just talking about, George Santos. Trying to take everyone down on the way out, is that what he's doing? Is the most famous MMA fighter about to make a turn to politics? And what is this new respiratory illness coming out of China? Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Chris Steyerwald, News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Kaylee McGee White is the editor of Restoring America at the Washington Examiner. Chris Hahn, NewsNation political contributor and former senior aide to Senator Chuck Schumer and Julia Manchester, national political reporter for The Hill. The Hill on NewsNation starts right now. All right, and thanks for being with us here on The Hill. We begin this week with some pretty big news out of the Middle East. Eleven hostages now back in Israel. A live report from Robert Sherman momentarily on the situation there, including the release of those hostages. But first, did you happen to see this? It had the attention of the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu throughout the day. That right there. The world's wealthiest individual, Elon Musk, spent his Monday in Israel meeting with top leaders and families of hostages held in Gaza. Now, the prime minister took Musk on a tour of a murder scene, a kibbutz destroyed by Hamas last month. The two then hosted a chat on Musk's platform, X.
2: Those who are intended motor murder must, must be neutralized. Uh, then uh, the, the propaganda must stop um, that is training people to be murderers in the future. And then and then, and then, making uh, Gaza prosperous,
3: and if if, if, if if that happens, I think it will be a good future. Well, I hope you'll be involved in it, and I'd love to help.
1: All right. Now, that visit, of course, comes after Musk faced fierce backlash for an anti-Semitic post that he described as "quote the actual truth." Musk then posted the following today on his platform, saying, "quote Actions speak louder than words." Hello to you all. Hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. Everyone have a good Thanksgiving? Great Thanksgiving. It's good to be back here on a Monday. A lot of news going on. Um, Elon in Israel. Why? Elon Musk wants
4: you to know that some of his best friends are Jewish. That is what what he wants you to know. He is uh, is trying that. Um, For me, what makes money for Twitter and what makes money for social media is angry engagement. That's how you, that's, that's the, the, what they're really selling is angry engagement that people get it, because that's the stickiest, the hottest one. And it works for making Twitter money, but it doesn't work for Twitter CEO. And what you have here is the payoff too. He was, uh, un, he was engaging in the kind of content that, that drives the site a great deal. Uh, and it, uh, it affected him negatively. Yeah. So now he's got to go clean it up.
1: I wonder how much of this though, also deals with Starlink. Oh, and no. and what's going on because there are you know there there's some reporting in the Hill I believe yeah. uh, that he agreed that that internet service will only be able to operate in the Gaza mm-hmm. Strip with the approval of Israel. He hasn't commented publicly though. On yeah,
3: it. yeah, and you know I think a lot of P- looking at this and this might sound very strange at first, but there are probably some at least PR benefits for Israel through this visit, particularly when it comes to Starlink. Israel's gotten a lot of criticism as to what happens to Gaza after this war. How are right. we going to clean this up? And And if he's appearing with Elon Musk, the head of this, you know, very, you know, big satellite service in terms of, you know, getting Internet back to Gaza and such and Israel being able to control that, I think that certainly helps Netanyahu or could help him Hmm. in terms of saying, look, here, I have a plan.
5: I think you had the two most unpopular people in <laughs> Israel getting together to talk about the future
1: of Israel, which neither one of them will be involved. In. So here, right. here, here's the editor-in-chief of Haaretz saying in a, in a post, quote, uh, blatant anti-Semite and publisher of anti-Semitism, Elon Musk, should be persona non grata yeah. in Israel. That's the editor-in-chief of Haaretz. I'm sorry. Go uh, on.
5: I, I agree 100 uh, percent. Look, he went there, you know, as Chris accurately pointed out, uh, as some sort of penance trip. His words seemed robotic, even more robotic than normal, because he always sounds like a robot. Uh, and, and frankly, I, I don't buy it. Uh, I saw what he posted. I, you know, I'm I'm the grandson of Holocaust survivors. And I was personally offended by it. It's a trope that's been around for generations. Henry Ford used the same kind of language when he was the world's leading industrialist. Hmm. And I don't think we should allow this guy uh, to be perceived as a polite human being anymore, because he is not. I'd like to see him make a real apology for what he said, what he allows, and what continues to be allowed on Twitter. What do you make of him going there?
2: I think that part of it was a bit of self-promotion. Obviously, he held the X-Spaces event with Netanyahu, which I'm sure was... Part of the agreed upon, you know, statement of him going over there in the first place. However, I think Elon Musk is genuinely interested in the information war around this conflict. He's visited other very controversial parts of the country. He's visited the southern border. And I think he realizes that his role as the head of X, which is a public forum where much of the national conversation takes place, is vital moving forward, and I think that he has a vested interest in being a part of seeing what's taking place in Israel, and he wants to get firsthand the information that a lot of people You're are not being buying. Deprived it of. Well,
5: I don't think the national conversation is taking place on no. X anymore. Right? Uh-huh. Nobody's yeah. nobody's going there like they used to. I used to spend a lot of time there. You did too. Look Chris. what it did to you. <laughs> I had a whole you head of hair to when Norman. I started. Yeah, exactly. Gone. Uh, it drove me nuts. <laughs> but I, look, I, I think he's a guy who destroyed that public forum for people. And I don't think a lot of people are going back to it while he's still the there. The statistics
4: are very clear. Very few people produce most of the content yeah. on yeah. these sites. That's and
2: fair, but we're all still talking about it. So it is a part of the national Well, don't play play. Hey, he's, man. He's, try, he,
1: he's just trying to do he it. He's, the the
0: exactly. he's a very uh,
5: consequential human being. Yes. He, you know, he's, he's he's involved not just in X, but, you know, SpaceX. Well, Starlink. Starlink, I mean, Starlink and is that everyone thinks
1: of, of, of Tesla and SpaceX. But when you look at geopolitics, right. yes, Starlink. it's Starlink that is in the middle Starlink of a lot of this stuff. Starlink and SpaceX it's, are the things that yeah. actually make him the most. Annoying. All right. Well, meantime, the four-day ceasefire between Israel and Hamas will now continue on for at least another two days. Qatar announcing the agreement earlier today, providing for the possible release of more hostages and for humanitarian aid to enter Gaza. But at this hour... 11 newly released hostages are back in Israel. To our man on the ground uh, in Tel Aviv, Robert Sherman, reporting live for us once again. Robert, um, you know, there was some pretty big movement there today.
6: A lot of movement here, Blake. A lot of moving parts that are all starting to come together here. Let's start with what's just happened in the last few hours or so. We saw those Israeli hostages be transported by the IDF back onto Israeli soil. They're in the custody of the IDF and they say that they're gonna be transported to hospitals where they'll have the opportunity to be reunited with loved ones. This is the same formula that we've seen over the last four nights with this buildup taking place all throughout the day. And here we have 11 hostages returned back to Israel. We wanna show you the list of who was let go here. I mean, you look at this list here. um, Of the 11 people you see on your screen, Eight of them are children, one another one uh, 18 years old. And you look at some of these names here, we've been following these stories so closely, some of the things you notice, Sahar, Calderon, Erez, Calderon, uh, ages 16 and 12. Their father nowhere to be seen on that list, Ofer. That has been consistent with what we've seen is that in certain cases, families being split up. Um, But there's a lot of people here on the ground in Israel just hoping to get as many people out of gaza as possible and back home and that's where we look ahead now as you've heard from the qatari mediator saying that uh... they've negotiated a two-day extension of this pause the u.s. backing that up as well with the intention of getting more hostages out i will say this is is that it's the sentiment that is on the ground here is is that Nothing is a done deal until it gets across the finish line. So people are waiting to see what the next 48 hours have. And the other thing that I would note as well is is that we've heard from Israeli leadership all day that just because there's a pause does not mean that the war is over. They remain insistent that the second that the pause is lifted, the operation is back up and running. Blake.
1: Robert Sherman, live for us on the ground in Tel Aviv once again. Robert, thank you. Joining us now is one of the top Democrats on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, the Congresswoman from the state of North Carolina, Kathy Manning. Congresswoman, thanks for being back here on the Hill. Uh, Appreciate the time from you, as always. You were listening in there to Robert. Uh, The war is is not over um, from the Israeli perspective. You wrote... In a statement earlier this month, a ceasefire without the dissolution of Hamas and the release of hostages would only give Hamas time to regroup and attack civilians again. Isn't that essentially where we are right now? Because there is this ceasefire, but Hamas is still there. So I'm wondering if you're satisfied.
0: There is a ceasefire. The Israelis have certainly done an, an enormous amount to uh, to go after the Hamas fighters, to break down their operational capabilities. But the other thing we have to think about is one of the goals was not just to destroy Hamas, but also to get back the hostages. And we have seen over the last four days the release of hostages. The release of the hostages today was so compelling. All those children who have been held captive for six weeks in uh probably very difficult circumstances. It's heartbreaking to think about what they have gone through, and there are over 180 hostages that are still being held. So we need to continue to push for the release of all the hostages, and we need to understand that it is incumbent upon Israel to make sure that Hamas is never able to do this to Israelis again.
1: But I guess, how do you pick back up the war after a truce?
0: That's going to be up to the IDF, and I have great confidence that the Israeli defense forces uh, uh, can determine how to go after the Hamas fighters, how to go after the terrorists who wreaked havoc against the against Israeli civilians on October 7th.
1: Um, there is a, a story in the Washington Post, Congresswoman, uh, over the weekend about President Biden, uh, the leader of your party, meeting with five prominent Muslim Americans, and he expressed regret about civilian casualties. The quote in the Washington Post is, quote, I'm sorry, I'm disappointed in myself, I will do better. You think the president should be sorry? You think he needs to do better?
0: I think the president has done a remarkable job of standing with Israel and supporting the government of a democracy that was invaded by thousands of terrorists. And the purpose of that invasion was specifically to slaughter civilians and take civilians captive. We all feel terrible for what happened to innocent Palestinians, and um, it's hard not to see what has happened to innocent civilians, what's happened to their homes, and not feel terrible for them. But I think we have to remember that it is Hamas that caused all of this. Hamas, the leaders that were elected to serve the Palestinian people who embed their weaponry, their operational headquarters under hospitals, in schools, in mosques, they are the ones who are at fault.
1: Congresswoman, you were the, uh, before you got into politics... As you know, you were the former board chair of the Jewish Federations of North America. You saw Elon Musk there today. There's a lot going on. I don't know if you heard, heard us talking at the top of the show between comments that were made on the platform and then potential national security issues with Starlink and, a, and maybe a deal that was cut there. What do you make of, of Elon Musk in Israel today, and do you take any issue with it?
0: Well, there are some serious issues with Elon Musk. Number one, he has not only allowed anti-Semitic, hateful anti-Semitic rhetoric to be spread on his platform. He has actually spread it himself and agreed with it. Um, he he needs to understand. In fact, I think he said in the quote that you the, the this bit that you uh, that you played was that propaganda must stop that is training people to be murderers. Well, he needs needs to make. Note of his own comments, because he is allowing propaganda to be spread on his platform that is training murderers. We have seen that anti-Semitic hatred has inspired, for example, the shooter at the Tree of Life Synagogue um, in Pittsburgh. He is allowing that kind of anti-Semitism to be spread on his platform. He needs to do more. And by the way, it's not just up to his own uh good graces to stop the spread of anti-Semitism. I think Congress should be looking at the spread of hateful and violence-inducing speech on social media platforms and and take steps to stop it.
1: All right. Congresswoman Kathy Manning from North Carolina, Uh, thanks for being back. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Of course, Kaylee. what you heard there. I'm not sure Republicans would want Congress to step in uh, with speech on social media, but wondering what you make of, made of what you heard from the Congresswoman. Yeah,
2: no, I, I think that if you, if you boil anti-Semitism down just to allowing anti-Semitic rhetoric on X or Facebook or wherever else, I don't think that you actually understand what anti-Semitism is. It, it's a very deep-rooted hatred of another ethnic group. And I think that Elon Musk's entire philosophy when he purchased Twitter Now X ...was to allow speech, even if it's speech that we dislike... ...even if it's speech that's hateful... ...because that's what's best for a free society. Are we going to like it? No. Should we like it? No, absolutely not. But I think to clamp down on one specific side... ...is not necessarily the right move... ...and that's the, that's the they, call he's They're made. clamping down on
4: all kinds of stuff. Uh, X <laughs> clamps down on tons of stuff. They don't let child pornography go... They don't, They they don't. ...there's speech that they don't let up. To host is to choose, right? You yeah. have to make affirmative choices... And everybody we've heard for years about from the right, oh, we let let 10,000 flowers bloom, more speech is good yep. speech. And I hear it, but the people who are hosting these sites have a business model. BMW does not want their ad yep. next to trash, right? Their business model will not <laughs> right. allow for them to have unrestricted. So they very understandably restrict. Doesn't that just sort of include and choosing and the, and some the, speech over well, other? Sure, and the but First Amendment
5: a- doesn't apply to the private actor, Right. Elon Musk and X are private actors, and he took over this platform because he probably doesn't even care about the advertising dollars. The guy's got more money than I think God. T- I think he took it over because right?
1: he wants to build WeChat yeah, here in yeah, the U.S. Yeah, and he's so got bigger, bigger, it, much it more is, longer ambitions. It's than-
5: strange to me that a guy would spend that much money on an asset and destroy it. I know a lot of very wealthy people, not, right. no one as wealthy as him, but they would never take over an asset just to destroy it for any reason, even for spite, which is what it appears this guy's done. But I don't like the anti-Semitism that's there, but I particularly don't like it when the richest man in the world, with all that power and influence, spreads it himself, agrees with it
1: himself. That is my problem with Elon Well, to to leave it there, um, I did not have the following on my bingo card coming out of Thanksgiving here uh, because we're going to be talking about the former UFC world champion, (laughs) Conor McGregor. Did you hear this? He has a new opponent in his sights, and it is the prime minister of Ireland. McGregor is criticizing uh, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar for, quote, downplaying the kidnapping and release of an Irish-Israeli child by Hamas. Now, McGregor called out the prime minister saying uh, that he's a disgrace. The prime minister said that the child was, quote, "...lost and found." Now it comes after McGregor spent the holiday weekend posting about the riots in Dublin, including this tweet that simply read, "Ireland, we are at war." I got to run, but is, is of McGregor moving into politics here? Clearly, yeah, right? That's because, what's ha- that's what's I happening. Mean, well, first of all, lost and found. Was he quoting Amazing Grace poorly? Well, he was he was I, I, he was
5: quoting the the T. Shook of, of of Ireland. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'm talking about oh, the, the, the prime t- minister. T- right, I, yeah. I
1: thought that he was quoting it poorly, and McGregor decided I'm going to pounce on that. But all of a sudden, he's now like in the political sphere. And he's probably the most well, famous. I
3: think that's easy for him. That, that, that's a, that's an easy thing for him to jump on. I mean, that tweet from the prime minister was getting so much backlash. Yeah. I mean, I don't know who, who which staffer uh, drafted that, but not a good move. Right. Mm.
1: All right. Got to wonder about that man's uh, future, though, as he responds and gets in the middle of it. All right. Uh, so immigration has become a lightning rod issue across the globe. But what do the numbers show here at home? and what it means for this country going forward. Steyrwald breaks it down on the other side of the break, and people are masking up again in China. Video of a hospital overwhelmed by patients now grabbing worldwide attention. So what is China saying? And can they be trusted with the diagnosis? Brian Enten joins us when The Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on NewsNation. So around the world, the immigration issue is causing violent protests and political disruption. Anti-immigrant protests in Ireland, for example, began after uh, the stabbing of three young children there in the recent days. Meantime, here in the U.S., Congress is grappling with what to do about border security and is now focusing on tighter asylum rules for immigrants. Steyrwald is here to break it all down. Chris? So if you had to think of one issue that has dominated the
4: 21st century so far in the West, what's it going to be? It's immigration. Probably more than anything else. And as you saw there in Ireland uh, were those riots which were aimed at Tunisian immigrants. Uh, part of a growing immigrant population in Ireland, uh, or you look over to the Netherlands, uh, across the channel to the Netherlands, and you see where Gert Wilders, the uh, hard-right anti-Islamic dude, uh, and his faction had a big victory in, la- in parliamentary elections there last week. You continue to see the trend across Europe. Here in the United States, Americans are increasingly frustrated uh, by a lack of a coherent immigration policy. So why don't we have one? Right. Why? do If if uh, if, if Americans uh, left, right, center seem to want uh, something done about immigration here into the United States, why don't we have one? And this first graphic helps you understand exactly why one party cares about this issue a lot. And one party doesn't. So there you see 70 percent of Republicans. uh, They say that this is a very big problem. Illegal immigration, a very big problem in this country, just 25 percent of Democrats. Uh, Democrats don't want to talk about it. Republicans do. Uh, But what do they want to do about it? Well, let's look at the next graphic and we'll tell you. Ah, there you go. 69% of Democrats say the number of immigrants should stay the same or increase in the United States. This is all immigrants, illegal or legal immigrants. Uh, Republicans, 65% say it should be decreased. So they not only think about it differently, they want to do very different things. Okay, so what about independents? They get to decide every election. What do they think? You may not be surprised to hear that they're somewhere in between. They're more restrictive than Democrats, and they're more permissive than Republicans. It's by a 12-point margin, they're more restrictive than Democrats, and by a 10-point margin, more permissive than Republicans. They're right in there. So they must be in between on how Joe Biden's doing and how Democrats are doing on this issue in general. Wrong. Uh, when it comes to uh, how independents view Joe Biden's handling of these issues, 67% give him negative ratings on border security. 68% give him negative ratings on immigration. Those are his worst numbers on any issue set except for the economy. Worse than on China. Worse than on all these other things. This is a serious problem for Democrats with independents. Okay. So, uh, we could just kick all the immigrants out, right? That, the, that, that, that could please everybody, right? If we just kicked them out. No, obviously. Let's look at the real numbers on immigration and immigrants in the United States of America. It's about 14% of the total population in the United States is foreign born. That's 45 or more than 45 million people. About a quarter of those folks, 11 million people or so, came to the United States illegally. So, We're not going to deport all of those people, regardless of what the Republicans are going to tell you, Uh, regardless regardless of what you hear. That's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, we need more immigrants. Let's look at this number. Every year, 1.5 million people come to the United States legally to fill the roles that Americans need them to fill, because we have this flat, low birth rate, like a lot of rich countries. So we need immigration, we need immigrants, uh, but we are struggling with illegal immigration. And it's not just on the border anymore. Look at these states where it's happening now. Here's Kansas, North Carolina, Washington State... Immigration, illegal immigration rates are down in California. They're down in Arizona. They're down in Texas. They're down in Florida. They're up in these other states in the interior of the country, as the politicians say these days. Uh, Every state's a border state. What's your takeaway here? What matters to you about this? I will tell you that the Democratic Party has a serious problem in addressing these concerns when it comes to independent and persuadable voters. Republicans want to talk about it. They don't want to do anything about it. Democrats don't want to talk about it. Uh, if they can't find a way to do it, there is some Gert Wilders, there is some riot out of the future for the United States, unless we can get both parties to get a hold of this issue. That's all I'm saying.
1: There's Steyrwald, breaking it down. Um, this is coming up, though, in Congress, though, right? Like... Oh, they're going to get right on it. Well, not, <laughs> not, not comprehensive, but I mean, with Mike Johnson in the, in the border package, like there yeah. then some senators are trying to trying to figure this Absolutely.
3: all out. And it's going to be a big test, I think, for Mike Johnson, like many things are. But we, you have some hardliners in the Republican Party that would like to go farther on this. And then you have the more moderates who feel a certain way And the Senate, and the House, in terms of the Republicans feel very differently on how they should pursue this. So I think in theory, immigration is something that Republicans and Democrats can agree on and maybe once they did but we're not seeing that right now because as Chris pointed out we're seeing really the two extremes. I don't think that Republicans
2: are as divided though um, they did pass legislation earlier in the year, H.R. 1, which was a comprehensive border security package and of course Chuck Schumer and the Democrats said it was dead on arrival in the Senate and Biden would have vetoed it even if the Senate had taken it up So Republicans are pretty unified that something, bare minimum, has to be done. Democrats not only don't want to talk about this, they don't want to touch the issue at all. Anytime Democratic mayors in these cities raise the concern, hey, our cities are being flooded with illegal immigrants and we have no resources, Biden can barely manage to take a phone call with them. So this is an issue that the Biden administration has really put on display, and it's very deep-rooted in the Democratic Party.
5: Right about this time, 10 years ago, 2013, there was the bipartisan Border Security and Immigration Modernization Act of 2013 passed the United States Senate in broad bipartisan numbers. It was a gang of eight that included Chuck Schumer and Lindsey Graham holding hands, singing Kumbaya, let's fix the problem. John Boehner, then Speaker of the House, had the same kind of uh, divide in his House of Representatives that the Republicans see right now. Couldn't bring it to a vote. Uh, on the floor in the House of Representatives. It would have passed very easily there and would have been signed by President Obama. It's a good piece of legislation then. It's a good piece of legislation now. It should be taken up again. And I think this issue is
4: just one that tells us how broken and dumb hmm. our parties are <laughs> because the majority of Americans would like a solution, yeah. as, as yeah. Paul said, somewhere in between those two things is what 70% of Americans right. want. This is what that bill was. And the parties can't
5: deliver. It did both. It gave you a, a, it gave you a path to citizenship that took decades, by the way. And it gave money for the border, and it actually addressed the supply and demand need that you put in your report as well, Chris. We need people to come to this country to do these jobs. There are more jobs than people to fill them in the United States of America. It's leading to our problems with inflation and other things in our economy, we can't keep pushing people away that want to come here to work.
1: By the way, this issue, I would presume you might know, uh, oh. would be something to be talked oh. about at the next GOP you think it presidential come debate. Up? You yeah. think it come I up? think it might. I think there's a decent it's chance. Right? We're, not, we're not giving anything uh, about it. We are hosting the fourth Republican primary debate next Wednesday in a live primetime event at the University of Alabama. Sirius XM's Megan Kelly, News NewsNation's own Elizabeth Vargas. And Eliana Johnson, the editor-in-chief of the Washington Free Beacon, will moderate the two-hour event, the News Nation Republican primary debate, live from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Wednesday, December 6th, 8 o'clock Eastern, right here on News Nation. Looking forward to that. We'll be down in Alabama next week, by the way. Roll Tide. Uh, roll Tide. You see the game this weekend? My gosh. Oh, my. Fourth of 31. Um, all right. But before next week, he allegedly spent campaign money on Sephora, travel, and OnlyFans. Now the congressman from New York, George Santos, is lashing out at his own colleagues. Why he says Congress is full of drunks and crooks. And former President Trump vowing to dismantle Obamacare if he wins the White House. Remember what the great Yogi Berra once said? Is this deja vu all over again? What the former president is now saying and how the White House is reacting when The Hill on News Nation returns. So the last time we talked about George Santos, Chris said, say goodbye, America. Say your final goodbyes. Drink it up now. But no, there's still just a little bit more because the embattled congressman uh, saying today that he has discussed his future options with the House Speaker, Mike Johnson. Santos is facing a potential expulsion after a House ethics committee uh, found that he spent campaign funds on, among other things, designer clothing, Botox, and OnlyFans. But... That hasn't stopped Santos from fighting back as he lashed out during a three hour long conversation on X over the weekend, essentially contending that his colleagues aren't much better than him.
7: Within the ranks of the United States Congress, there's felons galore. There's people with all sorts of shysty backgrounds and All of a sudden, George Santos is the Mary Magdalene of United States Congress. I have colleagues who are more worried about getting drunk every night with the next lobbyists that they're going to screw and pretend like none of us know what's going on and sell off the American people.
1: Drink it up for a few more days, I guess, right? Because it sounds like the expulsion vote's coming later this week, maybe? Well, this is also a threat, right?
4: So uh, what was his name, the congressman? Uh, Madison Cawthorn, remember? Oh, yeah. The, yeah. the undoing of Madison Cawthorn, who alleged the drug-fueled uh, sex or by the octogenarian <laughs> right. members of the United States Congress who can't get up a ramp uh, unassisted. Yeah. But the uh, Santos, this to me, I read as a threat. He's telling uh, the Republicans, if you push me too hard, I'm going to name names about who these drunk lawmakers are who are cavorting
5: with lobbyists. The man is a pariah. I'm a Long Islander. He uh, he took over a seat that used to be held by a former boss of mine, Tom Suozzi, who will be running for that sweet oh, yeah. seat again uh, uh, against the very good Republican, Maisie Phillips. I, I don't put it. In the D column just yet, because I think that Maisie Phillips is a good candidate. And I think Anthony D'Esposito, the congressman pushing this, very close with the Nassau County Republican leader. And be it's, doing a good, it, it's a good district for Yeah, wouldn't be, doing it, a, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't be doing it if he thought he was going to lose it automatically. And, it, and, and the red wave on Long Island is a real thing. So, but that said, Swazi is a great candidate and he'll have a good run there. But this man, you know, members of Congress are not just there to vote on bills, not just there to uh, opine on policy. They do real work for their constituents in their communities. And for the last year, the people of the 3rd Congressional District of New York have had no one there doing that work for them. And this man should be ashamed of himself. He should have resigned months ago. Uh, He is, you know, like the Mel Brooks play, The Producers. If he would have lost, nobody Hmm. would have ever known about this scam right Right. now. But he's a scam artist. Time for him to go. Uh, And that quote there it was both anti-Semitic and anti-Catholic at the same time. Yeah, I didn't know was Shirey Dicey
1: was coming in. That yeah. Was, yeah, very, 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 very yeah. bad. Kelly, you good <laughs> with Republicans kicking him out?
2: Well, I think that he shouldn't have been elected in the first place. I think that Republicans are going to have to make the hard decision here to expel him because he's clearly on the So,
1: yeah, so you're good. you're good with kicking yeah, him out.
2: Yeah, but I also want to note that this is a pretty unprecedented effort. I'm looking here. There have been five congressional expulsions yeah. since 1861. Last one
1: in 2002.
2: So I, I will just say, if Republicans do the right thing here, I look forward to... To Democrats voting to expel Bob Menendez for being federally indicted. I look forward to them expelling Rashida Tlaib for being an anti-Semitic bigot. I mean, listen, we can draw the line wherever we want, but there's plenty to go around. Well, for a sides. while,
1: Republicans weren't call, Republicans haven't called for Bob Menendez to, to step down. And I think it was because there was the, the, the George Santos thing uh, hanging out there for quite yeah, some time. Uh, I think I've called for Bob Menendez right, to right, step down. Right, but Republicans are. But does she have a point there, like uh, if you're going to expel this guy? I think Bob Menendez
5: needs to go, too. Uh, I mean, it, you know, it, it's a very simple fact. New Jersey's governor gets to appoint the next senator. It's not a change in anything for Bob Menendez. So if they're not getting rid of Bob Menendez, there's some other reason behind it. And the guy has beaten one indictment, so maybe he's right. gonna, they think he's going to beat another one. But frankly, you know, gold bars in your jacket pocket and a Mercedes Benz <laughs> uh, in your yeah. driveway is a pretty steep you know,
1: hill to come, overcome uh, in the court. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the court's on to the politics, repealing and replacing Obamacare. Remember that thing? It was one of the key issues in the 2016 presidential race for the Republican candidates. They basically all campaigned on it. However, once Donald Trump took the White House, the Republican-controlled Senate then helped to vote it down. But is it back to the future now? Because the former president, Donald Trump, now saying he wants to make it a focus again, writing over the weekend in part, quote, the cost of Obamacare is out of control, plus It's not good health care. I'm seriously looking at alternatives. This was like the issue, as you know, Kaylee, for all the Republican candidates in 2016. Of course, Trump had the wall. Republicans got smoked on this, though, in 2018. Is it good for him to bring it up?
2: You know, I I find it interesting that he is bringing it up since he's railed against other Republican primary candidates for bringing up Social Security and the other, you know, programs that are going to be insolvent. And now that he's bringing up Obamacare, which is kind of an unpopular topic, even among Republican voters, they're pretty content with the program as it is. However, he's right. There does need to be an alternative found because Medicare is going to be insolvent by 2031. Obamacare is going to affect that as well. Um, You know, I think his larger point, though, is that this was a major defeat for republicans where republicans were unable to coalesce around their one campaign mission it was a massive failure and so that's his point is that republicans need to band together and actually get things done
1: so to tee up if you can the the sean spicer soundbite sean spicer was the uh press secretary of course uh during the trump administration when when they were trying to get this passed and here's what he said uh, a few weeks ago back on the show
6: Here's what I'll continue, Nick remembers this from the healthcare debate, we wanted to repeal Obamacare, we wanted to repeal Obamacare, the second that we finally could we said what do we do, we weren't ready with a message and a plan.
5: That's the point, that's the point can't replace it with nothing now, especially 10 years in, when millions of Americans, including people cheering him in that crowd, 4.5 million have they, enrolled. They get their, their health care from it. And it has also affected every aspect of everybody else's health care in this country, brought down prices for everybody. He has no plan. And quite frankly, I think part of this is him trying to cover up the fact that he constantly says he's running against Barack Obama. There is something wrong with him mentally. And I think he thinks that he's still it's 2016 and he doesn't know where he is half the time. And I think that's sometimes when he tweets, that's what happens.
3: Well, at the same time, Joe Biden was, pre- was vice president when Obamacare was passed. So okay. it's a way he can needle him. But you're absolutely right. Hold, hold,
1: hold that thought for a second, because here was President Biden uh, earlier today reacting to all this.
3: And my predecessors, once again, God love him, call for cuts that could rip away health insurance for tens of millions of Americans in Medicaid. They just don't give up. But guess what? We won't let
1: these things happen. All right, so they're pouncing on this. Yeah,
3: and that's the flip side of it. And we do know that Democrats were really good on Obamacare messaging. If I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Obamacare was originally a term that was come up with by the former mm-hmm. president's critics. They, uh, you know, flipped it in their favor, and they were able to very much coalesce around this going up to 2018. So I think this is Biden saying game on, and Biden very much recognizes yeah. that there doesn't seem to be a plan. Is this it,
4: good politics or? Kay- Kaylee's entirely right. This is um, was the massive, monumental failure of imagination and political courage on the Republicans' part. They complained about Obamacare for a decade. When they got the ball, they absolutely—it wasn't uh, Trump made it sound like. Oh, we had a plan, but these people people voted against it. We're going to get into it, right? And but what they said was, "We will gladly we'll gladly pay you Tuesday for an Obamacare cut today." It was a preposterous. It was a preposterous lapse. The idea that you would campaign around, and Donald Trump will not, I just want to be clear, Donald Trump will not do this, but you could campaign around a replacement. You could say, right, I have right, a better right. alternative that will right. make Medicare and Medicaid, that will shore up Medicare and Medicaid, that will do all this stuff. But I don't think that's what Donald Trump's talking about. I think Donald Trump's
1: still mad at John McCain. All right, well, coming up, is China telling the whole truth? After a mysterious wave of illnesses, there is a new video out that shows uh, this right here, a hospital filled with people wearing masks. What is this all about? Brian Enton joins us on the other side of the break with what China is saying, how they're responding and what we should make of it here at home. The Hill on News Nation back in a few. What I <laughs> All right, welcome back to The Hill. So hospitals in part of China are reportedly overwhelmed with kids suffering from a wave of respiratory illnesses, including pneumonia. Now, while China says one type of pneumonia is now subsiding, it also warns other illnesses could spread and that it could hit adults as well. Now, keep in mind here, this is the first winter since the country relaxed its COVID controls. News Nation senior national correspondent Brian Enton has been looking into this. Joins us live, hello Brian. So, what is going on right now? I mean, obviously China says says one thing, and you either take them at their their word or you don't. um, But what are they saying?
7: Yeah, I mean, based on what they've done in the past, you can't really trust them when it comes to these things. When you think of COVID and SARS back in 2003, they weren't transparent. The images uh, make everybody nervous. Those videos, right. uh, a few of them came out over the weekend, and they're not letting a lot of video out, but there was this video uh, from the Children's Hospital in Beijing, and it was just absolutely packed. There was barely any room uh, to stand. And, and they are saying that basically that this is uh, viruses that they're familiar with flu-like situations, pneumonia, nothing mysterious or unknown like COVID. In a very rare move, um, the World Health Organization requested data on what is going on and received that data and seems to agree at this point uh, with what China is saying. But the hospitals are full. They've opened up what they call fever clinics. So they're telling uh, people, mainly kids, not to go to the hospital because it's so full, to instead go to these fever clinics that have opened up. Um, I talked to Dr. Mann Monica Gandhi. She's an infectious diseases expert here in the States. She's a really a straight shooter, I've found, when it comes to these sort of situations. And she says, look, she's actually not that alarmed. She agrees that it likely is not some kind of mysterious illness. She says it has to do with what they call immunity debt. I'll listen to the way that she explained it.
3: This is something we would expect after three years of lockdown that children had not been exposed to respiratory syncytial virus, mycoplasma, common colds, RSV, uh, influenza, any of a number of viruses. And it's actually very expected that we would see a lot all at once, a lot of respiratory illnesses all at once.
7: So it's immunity debt. That's what she calls it, Blake. I think we forget uh, that they were under lockdown for three years in China until December of last yeah. year. So they're now having their first winter out of lockdown. All of these kids haven't been exposed to all the viruses in years. Uh, and that's the reason that hmm. they're getting sick right now, she says.
1: Yeah. You Remember, uh, you know, when that happened here, all of a sudden the kids took off the masks, went back to school. Yeah. And Same you know, thing. speaking from experience, yeah. they got sick. Um, but again... With everything that we know and what happened, it raises doubts and questions about what is China actually telling us, and, and is it the truth? All right, Brian Enten, uh thank you, sir. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, Blake. Yep, all right. So now turning to what fuels Capitol Hill. Have you heard this? It's how some members of Congress, congressional staffers, and supporters say they survive. Here's a headline for you. Washington's secret weapon is a beloved Gen Z energy drink with more caffeine than God. That drink, if you're wondering what it is, is Celsius. Positions itself as, a caf- as caffeine in a can, basically, for those seeking a healthier lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Now, there are now even Celsius-only vending machines. You see it right there up on Capitol Hill. Tell me about this, Julia. Yeah,
3: so I've been noticing the rise of Celsius, not only among Gen Zers, but also, you know, people of other generations. I'm personally a coffee person, but I guess it's a bit more refreshing if you have it. Well, a few weeks ago, my cousin and I ran a marathon together. And I said, I was, you know, buying groceries the week before. And I said, what kind of coffee do you want? No, I don't drink coffee. I have Celsius. Yeah, it's Here. like the
1: workout yeah. drink, the workout energy well, drink. Well, uh, here's the thing, though. Here's the know. thing. Here's
3: the thing, though. And we weren't running a major <laughs> marathon. We did it for fun. But actually, Celsius is banned by the National Olympic Committee as huh. well as the NCAA because it does. Well, actually, I don't think it's banned. It has. It contains chemicals or um, energy boosting uh, Are chemicals. you doping?
1: Is that what you're telling
4: us? <laughs> I, I
3: tell okay. sip, bread. Okay. One
1: sip. Okay. One sip. Sure so here's Congresswoman uh, Anna Paulina Luna. She says, quote, when you're a new mom and a member of Congress, nothing will stand between you and your Celsius energy drink, not even a broken vending machine. When I had kids, it was like coffee left and right. But this, was the, this is the new thing up on the hill. Well, I'm an old man, so I drink black coffee is that what in you do? the afternoon so that my
4: breath is terrible and, and it's, just, it's the worst. I'm sure it's the worst. And maybe this is much better. Um, but I will say this young people, when I was a young reporter, uh, and people who work on Capitol Hill and these staffers, yeah. they work a lot. So hard, yeah. They
1: work a lot and it's really intense. I've and, been there. Yeah. Mm. And so they need a little Cels- something. Celsius, by the way, in 2019, it was, it's a publicly traded company, it's trading for a buck a share. Today, $53 a share, Ooh, wow. a $12 billion Sh- company. To put that in context, Southwest Airlines market cap, $14 billion. It's basically the same size market cap of an airline. All right, coming up here in the next hour, Elizabeth Pran is filling in for Elizabeth Vargas on Elizabeth Vargas Report. She'll have more about the wave of respiratory illnesses in China that Brian was just talking about and the concern that this story uh, echoes potentially, we hope not, the beginnings of what we maybe saw in 2019. That's coming up six o'clock Eastern. Elizabeth Vargas reports right here on News Nation. But before then, it is a word that has been around for decades, maybe even centuries. I don't know. But now Merriam-Webster has labeled it the word of the year for 2023. The reason? It's because of technology so brand new, Congress doesn't even know how to deal with it. That's before we go. Final thoughts from the panel.
4: December sixth, the News Nation Republican primary debate. SiriusXM's Megan Kelly, News Nation's Elizabeth Vargas, and the Washington Free Beacon's Eliana Johnson, moderate a live primetime event. Wednesday, December sixth, on News Nation.
1: All right. So before we say goodbye, here is something that caught our eye. The word of the year for 2023, according to Merriam-Webster, it is "authentic." It gained popularity due to increased searches related to AI. And social media. They also say, by the way, Elon Musk uh, saying that people should be more authentic on social media was part of the reason for that word being the word of the year. But it's been around for decades.
4: Strong disagree. I do not want people to be more authentic.